The grand jury report is in, but what do we know? This is a special crossover edition of the Politically Georgia podcast and breakdown podcast from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. I'm Patricia Murphy, one of the hosts of Politically Georgia, and I'm joined by the hosts of Breakdown, Bill Rankin and Tamar Hallerman. They've been following the entire special purpose grand jury proceedings investigating Donald Trump and his allies and their attempts to overturn the 2020 election here in Georgia. Now, we got the first glimpse at the report from the special purpose grand jury. In this episode, we'll explain what happened, what we know, and what we don't know and who is exposed and what charges they could be facing. If you're finding us for the first time, we invite you to follow both podcasts, Breakdown and Politically Georgia, on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And watch your podcast feed this Wednesday. Bill and Tamar will have in-depth coverage of the Special Purpose Grand Jury Report in a new episode of Breakdown from the AJC. This is a special edition of Breakdown and Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. Hip-hop is a product of black people. It's a product of black song and celebration. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution presents... Hip-hop's most pulled elements are pulled from the South. A Southern hip-hop store. We always go back to that moment of the Source Awards. Everybody wants a rhythm, but they don't want your blues. The biggest names in hip-hop. Atlanta is still the mecca for hip-hop. 50 years. No one can deny... One film. The power of the South now. The South got something to say. Streaming now at AJC.com slash hip-hop. And we're back, and we are here with Bill Rankin and Tamar Hellerman. These are the two reporters in the country who have been at the middle of this special grand jury process from the very beginning. Of course, they're the hosts of the Breakdown podcast here at the AJC. Guys, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. Great to be here. Thanks for having us, Patricia. Okay. Well, Bill, let's start with you. Set the scene of what happened today. What did we learn from the release of that report of the special grand jury? Well, this has been highly anticipated, no doubt about it. And we were quite anxious to see what it what it said. We were kind of surprised to learn that the final report is only nine pages long. And I guess we saw about a third of it today. So two-thirds were kept under seal. And the two-thirds that were kept under seal is the good stuff. Those are the names of the people who... We believe very certainly that there are people that the special grand jury recommended be indicted. And for what crimes? Under what state laws? Uh, the, the report does say that. And it also said that the special grand jury said that it believes that one or more witnesses had committed perjury, lied under oath when they appeared before them. And they asked the DA's office to look into that and bring charges when there's enough compelling evidence to do so. And finally, I guess what was also quite noteworthy is that 
They heard extensive testimony on the subject of alleged election fraud from poll workers, investigators, technical experts, and state of Georgia employees and officials, as well as from persons still claiming that such fraud took place. And they said, We find by a unanimous vote that no widespread fraud took place in the Georgia 2020 presidential election that could result in overturning that election. I think those are the main takeaways. Tamar, talk about those potential perjury charges. What does that mean for these 75 witnesses who came before the special grand jury? That sounds like an entirely separate bucket of issues. Yeah, absolutely. And in this report, they didn't give any hints as to who those people might be. And we don't have a sense of of any evidence to to back up that claim. We don't know if there were just bad vibes in the room. We don't know if they were perhaps comparing the testimony they got under oath with maybe the transcripts that the January 6th committee released at the end of December. Maybe they were comparing it to testimony they got from other witnesses behind closed doors. We have no clue. And, you know, perjury, again, it's something like any of these potential charges. It's at the discretion of D.A. Fonnie Willis if she wants to um, pursue any of them. Perjury in Georgia is a standalone um, crime, but it could also be used as a predicate act under the racketeering laws. Uh, RICO here in Georgia, which the D.A. has mentioned she has been looking at related to this investigation. Um, So that's a very tantalizing nugget that we only um, really found out about earlier this week when when Judge McBurney announced that that was one of the portions of the report that he was going to be releasing. Uh, we have no idea who it's referring to. There's been plenty of speculation, but that's something to be watching closely in these weeks ahead. What I found was interesting was that it said it didn't say what evidence they had to make them believe that perjury had been committed. But then the more you think about it, maybe the more that makes sense because their charge was to look into tampering of the 2020 election. So that was not part of the testimony before them. So it kind of makes sense that they're telling the DA's office to investigate and possibly indict. Okay, so Bill, let me read you a response that we saw from Donald Trump shortly after the release of this report. From Trump, this was on his Truth Social social media platform. Thank you to the special grand jury in the great state of Georgia for your patriotism and courage. Total exoneration. The USA is very proud of you. Bill, was there total exoneration? That's not how I read it. He could be in for a rude awakening for sure, because the parts that were under seal were the names and the recommended charges. So this is absolutely not a total exoneration. Maybe he thinks because his name was not mentioned But that was the purpose of sealing all this in the first place. So he's still very much in play, I would think. Tamar, along with all of these sort of huge white spaces that were redacted, I was reading it on my phone because I was actually doing a live hit on TV. So I'm like, oh, let me just read this real quick on my phone. I just kept scrolling. It's just white page, white page, white page. It also looked like there might have been some appendices. What would that be. Did it look like there was more information on top of those nine pages? Yeah, I think, Bill, we know about maybe at least one appendix that, that could be added They said on. there was one appendix with the essentially the relevant state laws that come into play with their decision making. Yeah, and, and that 
will be interesting because one other detail that we did find out today is that not only did they confirm that they they did vote on potential indictments or recommending indictments for people, but we may also see vote tallies for each one. So it'll be interesting to say, say they, you know, for witness X, they're going to recommend indictment for crime Y. We're going to know if all 23 grand jurors agreed or maybe it was closely divided. Maybe there wasn't unanimous agreement in terms of whether to indict somebody for to recommend indictment for something. So that could strengthen or weaken their case. And it, it might be harder for the DA to in turn uh, pursue charges against somebody if the DA or sorry, if the uh, grand jury was closely divided on the question. They would give them pause. Bill, something I thought so was so fascinating was the note that there had been a unanimous vote taken that the grand jury does not believe there was widespread fraud leading up to or causing any different outcome in the 2020 election. What does that tell you about the mindset of this uh, special grand jury and what should we read into that? Well, I found that interesting because Tamara and I have interviewed a couple of people who did testify. I mean, witnesses who testified for the special grand jury were perfectly free to tell us what was asked, what they said, but most did not. But there were a couple who did tell us some of the things that went on inside the special grand jury. And two of them said that they thought there were election deniers on the special grand jury. Or at least skeptics. Skeptics. That would be a good way to say it, that there were skeptics. So. It looks like there are no skeptics now. Tamara, let me ask a question of you in terms of the kinds of potential charges that we could see, because here, at least at the Politically Georgia podcast, we have not gotten into the nitty gritty of the Georgia criminal code itself. So if Fannie Willis does decide to bring an indictment against not just people who potentially perjured themselves, but also people potentially involved in the effort to overturn the election, what crimes in Georgia could they have committed? Sure. And there's a there's a couple different buckets, but let's start first with the half dozen or so that the DA listed when she wrote to state officials like Governor Kemp, Secretary of State Raffensperger, right at the beginning, telling them to preserve evidence. The first state law that she mentioned, and I think the one that might be one of the most likely that we'll see, is criminal solicitation to commit election fraud. It could be a felony, it could be a misdemeanor, but it's for anyone who solicits, requests, commands, importunes, or otherwise attempts to cause the other person to engage in such conduct. That's a a direct quote. Um, A first degree solicitation is, is one to three years in prison. And a lot of people look at that law and would argue that it could apply to the phone call that that Donald Trump placed to Brad Raffensperger. There's people who disagree, but that's that's one that comes up too. We've heard making of false statements to state and local governmental bodies. Some people would argue that might apply to Rudy Giuliani and some of the other Trump campaign attorneys who testified before the Georgia legislature in late 2020 about that State Farm video, the one that they said was a smoking gun for fraud. Um, there's involvement in violence or threats related to election administration, okay, which is pretty self-explanatory. There's one called violation of oath of office, which applies more to pressure being placed on state officials, folks like Brad Raffensperger, folks like Francis Watson, other state and local officials, basically anything that would 
compel them to not carry out their duties and their oath to protect the the state constitution. And then there's the the two biggies. There's conspiracy and there's racketeering. Uh, and racketeering, we've talked about a lot. That one has by far the largest potential sentence. We're talking five to 20 years in prison uh, if somebody is convicted of felony RICO. And that has to do with kind of a much larger conspiracy and effort. And in racketeering, you really have to establish a pattern of activities. You need multiple predicate acts. Uh, perjury is considered one of them to kind of show that this was all kind of part of a broader scheme to carry out an illegal goal. So many different um, laws that have been looked at by the DA. And there's also several others that have come up as more information has been released, especially when it comes to the um, electors. We're talking about things like potentially false statements. Um, Oh, potentially computer trespass if you are looking at the um, election data breach in Coffee County, Georgia. Some folks have mentioned that that's a potential charge that could apply. So the universe is quite broad. And remember, these are all state laws. DOJ in its investigation is looking at federal laws. In Georgia, there's many that kind of are similar to these federal laws, but in Georgia, some are broader, some are narrower than, than the federal versions. So, Bill, the set of charges we've heard a lot about are anything that is a potential racketeering or RICO charge. Talk about Fannie Willis's relationship to that RICO statute, because I believe she has a lot of experience with racketeering charges and cases. Right. Several years ago, I covered the Atlanta public schools test cheating trial where she charged multiple teachers and educators and administrators, including the administrator of the uh, public school system in Atlanta at the time, Beverly Hall, with racketeering. And I would say it was a successful prosecution. I think they went to trial and only one person was acquitted. Um, Appeals are still pending. But then she has, since she took office, she has had a number of uh, RICO indictments, one against an alleged gang that was uh, robbing homes of wealthy folks. And then the one going on right now uh, involving the alleged gang Young Slime Life that has gotten a lot of attention. Um, So she's very, very adept. And she has said she's not scared of bringing a RICO case. And it just so happens that the top RICO expert probably in the country, who is a very successful private attorney for a law firm here in Atlanta, helped her with the Atlanta public schools case. And he, he worked for free. And he is now working at the DA's office. So you would think if any RICO indictment for the 2020 election is being drawn up, John Floyd is certainly part of it. Yeah, so she's certainly got that uh, expertise in her own experience and then in her office. And it it occurs to me, it is almost more difficult to charge teachers for racketeering in some cases and to threaten to put teachers behind bars, even then um, political operatives or even a former president. There's just so much that's hard about that in a community where you live also. So I believe Willis when she says she's not afraid to bring RICO charges because she has not been afraid to bring RICO charges. Um, One last question before we uh, get out of this segment. Bill and Tamar, who has the most exposure here in your opinion? Well, a lot of people think that the former president has a lot of exposure and that, like Tamar said earlier, Rudy Giuliani, um, he's been named a target of the investigation. There are 
the alternate electors who met at the state capitol on the day the official electors were voting for Joe Biden and Kamala Harris met somewhat in private in a room downstairs and voted for Trump and Mike Pence. And the DA has said they are targets. So any who else, Tamar, who would you think about? John Eastman, who the lawyer who helped arrange all that, the alternate electors, he's exposed, I would say. Yeah, and, and any folks involved in the organization of that. So Kenneth Chesbrough, another attorney who was involved in that, um, not in Georgia, but closely allied with the Trump campaign. Um, Jackie Pick, an attorney and podcaster from Dallas who was who testified alongside Rudy Giuliani and John Eastman at the uh, legislative hearings in Georgia in December 2020. She narrated the State Farm video um, that they said was a smoking gun for fraud. So those are kind of the names that we know to look out for, but there could potentially be other folks at risk whose names we've never even heard of or who were maybe background players, uh, but weren't these these massive names like Rudy Giuliani. Um, so we, we really don't know. And I think kind of wrapping up the conversation where we are talking about potential charges here, the DA has a real choice to make. She could, if she decides she wants to indict people and bring a case, she could pick a really narrow lane and focus on charges like criminal solicitation to commit election fraud. Keep it really tightly focused on something like the the phone call between Trump, Trump and Raffensperger. Uh, but that's relatively narrow. We're only talking about a sentence that could be one to three years, relatively small given kind of the scale of, of crimes that she has floated versus racketeering, which is a lot harder to prove because she has to prove there's this whole network that was working toward the same criminal goal. But then we're talking about five to 20 years in prison. We're talking about potentially barring Donald Trump from appearing on a ballot in Georgia again, um, seizing any assets that were gained as a part of a scheme. Um, A lot more work. But if you dislike Trump, a lot of people see that as a really kind of juicy outcome. Um, and so we we don't really know what the DA wants to do. Remember, she's a local DA without the bottomless pit of resources that maybe some of the feds might have. And she has to worry about balancing this with all the other priorities she has in her office. This giant backlog of criminal cases that have piled up as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic. All right. Well, still to come, we'll talk about what's next and what a potential court action could look like down the road. I'm Patricia Murphy, along with Bill Rankin and Tamar Hallerman from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Donald Trump has been indicted in Atlanta. We have so many court dockets to follow, but we haven't really seen anything yet. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has covered every moment of this historic case. I've been writing about this investigation for two and a half years. Our team is led by reporters Bill Rankin and Tamar Hallerman. Follow our coverage on AJC.com and listen to new in-depth episodes of the award-winning podcast, Breakdown, the Trump indictment, only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Our journalists at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution are working around the clock to keep you updated on all the developments surrounding the Trump indictment. Now the AJC is putting all of our coverage in one place with our new Trump 19 newsletter. Every Wednesday, you'll have our latest coverage and analysis on this historic case in your inbox. So sign up for free today at AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. That's all one word, AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. 
We're back with the special crossover episode of Breakdown and Politically Georgia. I'm Patricia Murphy. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has a special offer for our podcast listeners. If you subscribe today, you can get six months of unlimited digital access for just 99 cents. That's all of our sports coverage, politics, breaking news, investigations, food and dining, and so much more. You'll get access to all of our stories at AJC.com, access to our e-paper, and our assortment of newsletters, including The Jolt. So join our community by going to subscribe.ajc.com slash podcasts. That's subscribe.ajc.com slash podcasts. So you always know what's really going on. This brings us to a few more questions about the special purpose grand jury and the report that received earlier today. And I had a chance to talk to Tamar yesterday before we knew what was coming out. And Tamar, I know that you and Bill have reams of information about what could potentially be next, including the kind of twists and turns, any kind of potential court proceedings. But tell us immediately, what is the next step that we're going to see out of this process as we're going forward? We're expecting to hear from the DA at some point. It could be days away. It could be weeks away. It could be even longer than that. We have yet to hear if she's planning any indictments as a result of this investigation. And so we're expecting probably a press conference where she would kind of outline what she's going to do. And we're expecting indictments at this point. She heavily suggested that during a hearing last month in front of Judge McBurney, where she talked about protecting the rights of potential future defendants. Bill, I believe that was the, right. that mm-hmm. was the term she used. Uh, now, I've been asking her for any sort of detail about when we might see something. She'd mentioned during that hearing decisions were imminent. I caught up with her earlier this week, and she said, legally imminent, not reporter imminent. I don't really know what that means, but I guess that probably means we won't see anything in the coming days. Reporter but, imminent means any day to me. <laughs> I think Fair it means enough. in the next 30 seconds, so <laughs> which did not happen. <laughs> sure. So we're expecting to, to hear kind of a course of action from her, and we'll probably hear if she is pursuing indictments, we would think she wouldn't want to introduce that if she didn't already have those indictments in hand from a regular grand jury. So what she would do if she decides she wants indictments is she would prepare a presentation that she would give to one of Fulton County's regularly impaneled grand juries. And remember, she'd been working with a special grand jury for eight months. They were singularly focused on this one topic of potential election interference, but they did not have the power to indict, only to recommend. She has to go before one of Fulton County's two regularly impaneled grand juries in order to get those indictments. And basically what she would do is potentially just put the report in front of them that the the special grand jury came up with or give highlights. She could bring witnesses, folks who maybe came before the grand jury who were particularly compelling and bring that forward, get that in hand, ready to go, and then announce it to the public. And then all hell breaks loose, more or less. Right, Bill? Absolutely. Okay, Bill, let's talk about that hell. Let's talk about (laughs) what happens next. If there are indictments, I know that there are all kinds of questions about whether it would stay in state court, would it go to federal court. Sketch out the most likely or even just the potential scenarios of just the unprecedented situation if we had it of a former president potentially being uh, tried on 
criminal charges. What does that look like for Georgia over the next six months to a year and potentially longer? Well, if you're charged with a crime doing something while you were acting as part of your office, as a federal official. So if Donald Trump is indicted, there's a quirk in the law, it's a couple of centuries old, that would allow Mr. Trump or Mark Meadows or whoever, whoever was a federal official at the time, to try to move the case out of Fulton County Superior Court into U.S. District Court in Atlanta, which is just a few blocks away. But, you know, Fulton County was almost 75% for Joe Biden in the 2020 election. So if I were a district attorney in Fulton County, I'd definitely want a jury pool like that. But if you can transfer it to the Atlanta division of the Northern District of Georgia, the federal court, there are 13 counties to choose from. And they're not nearly as pro-Biden voting, you know, leaning as Fulton County. A couple of them are, but a lot of them are not. So you would definitely want to get the case moved for the jury pool. And that could happen. And there's going to be a battle royale if that happens. I mean, the Fulton prosecutors are going to try to keep the case in Fulton County and the Trump lawyers will do the opposite. So that could be appealed to the federal appeals court in Atlanta. It could go all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court. Now, it's not outside the realm of possibility because this would be the first time a former or sitting president has been indicted. So, I mean, there's one thing about being a judge overseeing a trial that's going to last, you know, for months and months. You know, you don't want to get it wrong on the front end. So if a judge were to make a mistake and the case goes to trial and there's convictions, the case could get reversed on appeal. So it's nice to know before the trial even begins that you made the right decisions. This could take more than a year if there's an indictment. It could take two years before it even goes to trial. Okay, Tamar, so conversations about something happening that would take a year or two years, that bumps us straight up to the 2024 elections. And we don't know what Fannie Willis's political plans are, but we do know she's up for re-election in 2024. We assume she's running for re-election. Um, Donald Trump has already announced that he is running for election. Sketch out what you think the the political considerations are for both of them, having covered them both in your time? Yeah. Well, the DA has confirmed she is running for re-election next year. Donald Trump, of course, this time next year will be on primary ballots. And having an investigation like this looming over his head both help and hurts him, I would argue. It could hurt him when it comes to consolidating support, not only among voters, and right now there's a lot of Republican candidates, potential challengers, lots of governors looking at this presidential race thinking, do I want to jump in? I kind of want to, but I'm not sure if I should. Maybe they would perceive Trump as being weaker if he's under investigation and want to jump in, maybe pull some of Trump's supporters from him. Not only that, but then there's the money class that likes to cut huge checks they're less likely to cut those huge checks if you're under investigation. So it could hurt Trump in that respect. At the same time, he's proven remarkably durable against every type of horrible thing in Washington that would disqualify any other candidate. Teflon Don, maybe this would be yet another thing that that wouldn't impact him. Plus, this plays straight into his narrative that the deep state, that liberal prosecutors, that 
liberal judges that that they all hate him and they're personally going after him. And so potentially this is something that could help gain sympathy uh, for him in a way that he hasn't had in the last year or so since he's left office. When it comes to Fannie Willis, Bill mentioned uh, Fulton County, deep blue county. There's probably more people who who want to see Trump held accountable for what he did in the aftermath of the 2020 elections. But at the same time, there have been rumbles of a recall effort that didn't go anywhere so far. But there is an effort, or at least a bill in the state legislature offered by Republican members that would make it easier to recall the DA, to recall DAs in general, make it easier to uh, punish them for doing things that, or at least not acting on issues that they think are important. Potentially, there's a response in the legislature if they don't like what Fonnie Willis is up to. Not only that, she's gotten criticism that she's focusing too much on this particular issue when there's all sorts of violent crime going on in the city of Atlanta, as there is everywhere else. And why is she not focusing more on that? Why is she not focusing more on eliminating the COVID backlog of cases? So there's all sorts of questions about where it's best to spend your resources. She is, although she is focused on violent crime and she is focused on moving the case log because of the pandemic, but people still criticize her nonetheless. And this is the sort of thing that could take the oxygen out of the room. Even if she is making progress on all of those other issues, Bill, I think prosecuting a former president has a way of kind of taking over a news cycle. So even if she is doing all these other things, people might only hear about or see this. Yes. Yeah, she definitely has to make sure that Fulton County voters and taxpayers feel like this is the right use of resources, um, particularly compared to all of the other issues that she's got on her plate down there at the DA's office. Um, So guys, here at the Politically Georgia podcast, we love to give our listeners a look a little bit behind the scenes about what we're up to. So have y'all given any thought to what your next story or two are going to be? Bill, are you already working on a story? Do you have something on your computer right now? We're working on a story about legal experts speculating that the special purpose grand jury did recommend Trump be indicted. They are focusing on a couple of lines in the order Judge Robert McBurney issued when he said he was going to release parts of it and seal most of it. And you can read that into thinking that it's possible. It's certainly possible they did recommend him being indicted because Judge McBurney referenced that due process protections were particularly important for those who did not appear before the special purpose grand jury. I mean, the people who appeared, they at least got to have their voice heard, right? But for anyone who didn't appear, you know, they didn't hear from this person. And Donald Trump's lawyers have said he was not subpoenaed and he was not asked to voluntarily appear. So he did not appear. So take it as you want. Okay. This this is why you two get the big bucks at the AJC, <laughs> because you have yeah. insides with all of the legal experts who just know how to read into, really read between the lines and even read between the lines that were not even on the page in that Fulton County Grand Jury report today. Well, we're going to um, hold on to both of you right now because we have come to one of our favorite elements of the Politically Georgia podcast, and that is the Politically Georgia listener mailbag. 
every politically Georgia <laughs> podcast listener knows what that means. We need something like that for breakdown. Come on, Shaney B. That could be arranged. That could be arranged. Yes. We have all the bells and whistles and carnival tricks, but y'all don't need them. You you do not need the you don't need the crutches to keep your momentum going. Because you have the the trial of the century, it seems like, to talk about on your podcast. Uh, so Shane, what are what's the first question we've got from the mailbag? So our mailbag consists of emails, Twitter messages. Earlier Thursday, Bill and Tamar, you guys did a Twitter spaces discussion about the special purpose grand jury report. So there was actually a really good question from Twitter spaces. So I'm going to include that here on the podcast for those who may not have heard it, but we'll start off with an email that Tamar received. It's kind of a two-part question, so I may need to repeat it as you answer it, but here's the question. Any reason to read into one Trump's attorney's January statement that Trump never spoke to the Fulton jury and two the unsealed paragraph today about witnesses lying under oath. Could Trump have already seen the full report or be hearing from a juror or witness about their conclusions? Well, I'll take number one, um, Bill, and maybe you can help with number two. The first, Trump's attorney's January statement that Trump never spoke to the Fulton jury. And that was interesting, first of all, because we had not heard from Trump's Georgia attorneys pretty much since they'd been hired. They'd been silent for six months, and they finally spoke up right before this hearing in January where Judge McBurney was weighing whether to release this report publicly. Um I would not read into the idea that that Fonnie Willis never subpoenaed Trump, never asked for his testimony. We were a little bit surprised. We figured she'd at least voluntarily ask for his testimony to at least eliminate him saying, well, I had a perfectly plausible reason and you just never asked me for why I acted the way I did, why I called Brad Raffensperger. But at the same time, she didn't have to. She's under no obligation to reach out to folks for her criminal investigations. And at least in federal investigations, it's common if Trump is a target of the investigation, which people widely think he is, the feds don't have to reach out to targets to to interview them or subpoena them, get their take. And Fannie was not under the requirement to do so either. Well, I'd be stunned beyond belief if Trump has already seen the full report you know, I hadn't really thought about whether he's heard from a juror, um, one of the grand jurors. I would be stunned if that happened, too. Um, at the hearing before Judge McBurney last month, he didn't say it directly, but he said it indirectly, that he had told the grand jurors not to discuss what they had done until the report is released. So, no, I, I'd be stunned. No, I don't think they did. Okay, well, Shane, what's up next? All right, let's take a question from Theo. Theo asked a question on your Twitter Spaces session earlier on Thursday. Yes, thank you so much. I've been listening to this podcast closely from outside the area. My question was, um, given the length of the sealed parts of the report, is there any sense based on looking at past reports as to how many indictments that could contain or what that or what that length would mean to people who have looked at special grand juries in Georgia closely? (laughs) I can't answer that question. It's a good question. And it's certainly something we're thinking about, but um, it would be pure speculation on my part, but I would think that what judge McBurney wrote in his order 
allowing the release of some of this information was that it contains a roster of charges that could or could not be brought against certain individuals. So I think, and what state laws are in place. So I think it's, it could be a, a list, essentially, with the vote tallies. But we're not going to know until it's released. And I would not say just because this report appears to be quite short at nine pages, I would not take that as a sign that only a few or no one would be recommended for indictment. We saw I, when Theo asked this question during uh, Twitter spaces, I'd mentioned a uh, similar grand jury report that we saw in, in 2010 in DeKalb County, where they recommended all sorts of people for indictments with giant changes to the way the county worked and dealt with contractors. And so I would not put it past the grand jurors to have many recommendations, even if, if the report itself is is short. Um, I guess we're not going to see the big exhaustive look at the elections and, and efforts to influence it like we saw with the January 6th committee, but that doesn't mean that they don't have their own recommendations about what to do. Okay, great. Well, uh, Shane, do we have one more question? Let's do one more question. This is a good one from Twitter. How would news of actual indictments work? A DA Willis public announcement, or would we need to wait on adjudication and release of additional reports? Well, hopefully Tamar finds out before everybody else in the world finds out from her. Amen. <laughs> That's how I get all my information. <laughs> Same. Same. <laughs> but most likely a press conference would be my guess. Because remember, she spent the last two years working on this and she's had to, she's really kept quiet, especially the last six months. So if she were going to pursue indictments as a result of all of this work, we would think she'd want to take a victory lap in the press and, and be able to show how strong she is and how much she has her, her ducks in a row. So she is an elected official after all, and, and I don't think she'd want to, to pass that up. Okay, I'm going to throw in one more question, which is from me. Will we know that she has spoken to a grand jury? Is that something that's going to be public and announced, or could we just find out after it happens? The only good thing about the special purpose grand jury, which operated in secret, was that it had a public docket that we could check on, and there were, there were filings really pointed us to what was going on, what was being investigated. It was extremely helpful. But we're in the dark right now. We are totally in the dark. So it's a anxious time, to say the least. I wish we did know. We can't sit outside the grand jury door. <laughs> and remember, remember, regular grand juries meet all the time. There's two going on at any given point in time. They're each meeting twice a week. They're hearing dozens of cases a day everything from murder to arson to trespass. So she could just walk in, throw in some elections inquiries and, and walk out. It, it would be almost impossible for us to, to be able to know that information. Okay, well, in the dark, that also describes the rest of us. So I'm glad it's not <laughs> just me and our audience. So, well, guys, thank you so much for joining us. We are going to move on to our final segment. <laughs> Oh, it has to be good after music like that. It has to be good. 
So we are now into our who's up and who's down segment where we decide who is up and who is down for the week. Um, And, you know, again, it's temporary. You could be up today, down tomorrow. So, you know, these are not final pronouncements like the special grand jury. This is just our temporary judgment on people. Uh, we We like to end on a high note. So that means we are going to start on the down note. Bill, do you have a who's down for this week? Well, I would say the targets that have been named in the grand jury. There are 18 so far that we know of. One of them is uh, Lieutenant Governor Burt Jones, although he cannot be uh, charged by the Fulton DA's office because of a conflict of interest that Judge McBurney found. But I would not be feeling very good if I were one of those targets at all. Mm, Tamar, who's your who's down? Donald Trump. I know that he just posted on Truth Social He's that he was exonerated by this. <laughs> yes. But if I were his lawyers, I'd be worried about this. As we mentioned, there are lines in McBurney's order that that some legal experts say it's kind of tipping tipping the hand to say that potential charges could be coming down the pike. Um, I would be w- nervous to see what's around the corner. Okay. Well, you know what? This makes an unprecedented unanimous who's down because Donald Trump is also my who's down. Declared himself exonerated, definitely not exonerated. So it looks like he's got a long road ahead of him in addition to all of the other um, swirling investigations around him. So he's down for the week for me as well. That brings us to our who's up. Bill Rankin, do you have a who's up for the week? I would say Judge Robert McBurney has gotten praise from just about every person we've talked to on his handling of this investigation and overseeing the grand jury. He's an extremely good writer. His orders are clear and crisp and sometimes a little funny. Uh, So I would say he's way up. Okay, Tamar, who's your who's up for the week? And I and I completely agree with that, Bill Rankin. I have been completely entertained and educated by Judge McBurney in this process. So I agree with you. Uh, Tamar, who is your who's up? I would say the defense lawyers of the state of Georgia. I'm sure that some folks are lawyering up for what could be a long and bumpy road. And so I'm sure uh, folks are are looking at some new business potentially coming out of this. <laughs> That's a great point. I'm Good sure people retainers. were getting lit up today saying like, hey, are you busy for the next year or two? Um, okay, so my who's up is is on a completely separate subject, but my who's up are the dogs and cats of our listeners and subscribers at the AJC. I put a call out earlier this week uh, letting our Jolt audience know that I am looking for the uh, dogs and cats to be the dog of the day for the Jolt or the potential cat of the day. On a cat by cat basis, and I we have been flooded with responses, including by Bob Barker, who is none other than Shaney B's dog, who has joined see. us through this entire <laughs> podcast. We can see in the shot right now, and with I mean, with so much negative political news, so much combative energy in this space. This has been a real light in my week. And we have so many people in our world who have so much in common with their dogs and cats, how much they love them, no matter um, their political persuasion. So I look forward to, we're so excited to bring those to our Jolt readers. So they, I just want to thank the people who've sent those in because they completely rescued my week this week. They restored my faith in humanity. 
which is always a good thing. And um, I also want to thank our listeners here, both on the Politically Georgia podcast and the Breakdown podcast. Be sure to watch your podcast feed this Wednesday. Bill and Tamar will have in-depth coverage of the special purpose grand jury report in a new episode of Breakdown from the AJC. And thanks so much for listening to our special coverage of the special purpose grand jury report. And thanks so much to Bill and Tamar for joining us and lending us your much needed expertise. We are so grateful you are much in demand. And we invite you to follow our podcast, Politically Georgia, and Breakdown on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Along with Bill Rankin and Tamar Hallerman, I'm Patricia Murphy from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. I'm Ernie Suggs, race and culture reporter for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And I'm Ned Ravone, lifestyle columnist. Atlanta has been known as the Black Mecca for so many years, but that means something different to everybody. It means everything to me. I've been living here for 24 years, and I am still amazed at how rich the city's Black culture continues to grow. Every day I wake up, I learn something new. Well, you all can learn something new by subscribing to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution's new newsletter called Unapologetically ATL. It's all about the people, the events, and the entertainment happening in Metro Atlanta that Black people might want to know about. Like historically Black colleges and universities. Atlanta's thriving art scene. And the city's growing neighborhoods. Wherever you live, we want to hear from you. We want to hear what issues are important to you. So subscribe today at www.ajc.com slash unapologetically ATL. Only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Oh,